permission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To Roll for initiative. From the silver screen to the GM screen, Never Say Die asks, what can we learn from movies to enhance our role-playing game experience? I'm Rafe Telsch, film critic. And I'm Drew Meyer, gaming enthusiast. And in this episode, we're taking a second look at 1983's BMX Bandits to see if our opinions of the film have changed in the <coughs> four months um, since we last <laughs> reviewed it. We're also going to discuss the very successful Kids on Bikes second edition Kickstarter that ended in November, our roles in the playtesting of said edition, and what you'll expect to find when the book has actually gone public. Uh, this will be our first opportunity to stat our BMX Bandits draft picks using those second edition rules. Very excited about that. Yep. And we're also going to chat about the other crowdfunded games that have caught our attention, uh, as well as what the future holds for Never Say Die. Bum, bum, bum. Because when you say <laughs> it like that, it sounds nefarious. It does. I would even say ominous. Ominous. But it's Ooh. not. No, but it's, it's not. Just it's kind not. Of, it's not. No, of course not. And it's it's where do we go from here? Or, uh, and what do we change, if anything? But we'll, we'll cover that. In, in yeah. And before we get to that, Drew, we'll leave that as a nice lingering thing for later. First, Drew, in the uh, two weeks since we last recorded, because, uh, hey, we got uh, something out there finally. Have you watched any movies that you'd recommend to me or to our audience? Well, I think if our audience and you will remember, I, I was perched at the precipice of actually watching a film that in in kind of the terms of your podcast have not seen this i had not seen the sound of music i still have um, not seen the sound of music you have not seen the sound of music i have now seen the sound of music from 1965 it's a good movie is it just a worse version of mary poppins as i heard one podcast describe it um no no i mean listen if mary poppins at the end of Mary Poppins fought Nazis in a la Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I would love Mary Poppins even more. I was just about to go to Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Now, the sound of music, <laughs> it's good. You know, it's one of those things where I'm more of a Mary Poppins kind of musical fan mm-hmm. than I am a Sound of Music musical fan. Uh, what's interesting about Sound of Music, at least to me, was all but two of the songs I knew all the words to. Right. Like, having never seen the movie, they, they're such a part of just the zeitgeist of our culture, that it seemed like kind of really dumb that I hadn't seen the film. So saw it, watched it, about halfway through, I started going, I should probably start figuring out a way to, to, to gamify this movie. And then I thought, <laughs> I should probably just stop thinking like that and just enjoy this movie, which my wife swears is a Christmas movie, and it is not. Uh, yeah, so that, I think, you know, like everything that I've watched basically since the last time we talked has been a Christmas film. So I saw Sound of Music, I saw Scrooged, uh, watched... We're No Angels from 1955. Interesting film. Okay. I watched The Long Kiss Goodnight, which is Christmas adjacent for the first time. That one's very good. I did watch a Kids on Bikes film, one that I watched specifically to see if I wanted to bring up. Because one of the things that you and I have not really discussed is foreign films, you know, English, mm-hmm. non-English speaking Kids on Bikes movies. And so I'd heard about this one from 1985 called Go for Broke, or as they say, it is a Japanese film, Go for Break, which is the first act and the third act are perfect Kids on Bikes movie, like perfect amazing kids on bikes movies and the second act is a full hardcore pinky violence like in a way that i was not prepared for and (laughs) i have to reconsider whether i want to discuss it because there's subject matter in it that i just don't want to discuss on this show um 
So it's it's one of those things that I'm going to pitch it to you at some point in time and see if you want to talk about it uh, on the podcast. But yeah, how about you? Have you have you? I'll seen put it anything? right next to my uh, recommendation of Pulp Fiction as a kids on bikes movie. <laughs> 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 um, I, I have been in the kind of the same place that you've been with the holidays. Uh, you know, w- w- as we're recording this, the holidays are kind of coming to a close. But I, I, I as I mentioned on the the last little snippet that we did, I, I've been watching a lot of Christmas movies. I decided to give a couple of new. Christmas movies a chance to see, hey, do we have any new classics coming out? Because, like, last year, I liked 8-Bit Christmas. Didn't think it was one that I'll return to every year. Didn't return to it this year. Kind of proved that right then. Uh, But I enjoyed it. So this year, I gave A Christmas Story Christmas a shot, uh, the sequel to the classic perennial A Christmas Story. 75% of the movie, I was like, eh, this is a thing. And then that last 25% connected with me... Rafe Telsch personally and stuff that I have and thoughts that I have. I can't say it's a movie for everyone, but like that last 25% really kind of connected with me. Probably not a, not a one I'll ever watch again. Um, Spirited, which is the new, uh, kind of an adaptation of a Christmas Carol with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, which is quite good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, some of the songs are catchy. Same musical team that did La La Land and The Greatest Showman. So not really surprised there. Uh, enjoyed that quite a bit. And then, uh, I didn't get to see Glass Onion yet, but I did go back and revisit Knives Out as, like, a thing. And I did, I have to admit, about halfway through the movie, I realized I was sitting there trying to gamify the plot. Like, how do you do? Because because I have that Kickstarter of the, the devil. Uh, God, now I forgot the name of it, but it's a, it's a heist game. I right, have that. Yes. How do you do a heist story where you tell the audience what happened a third of the way into the story and still keep it compelling? Because that's what Knives Out does. Right. Well, I'll tell you exactly how you do it. It's called Fiasco, and one day you and I will play it. A callback. <laughs> well, I mean, it is. And, you know, I did see Glass Onion. That was my Christmas Eve film. Uh, I didn't really bring it up because it's not a Christmas movie. and I liked it fine. I think I liked the first one better. But... It's uh, just like the first one. I want to give it a second viewing so I can catch all the bits that I missed the first time around. Sure. And I think I'll probably, my opinion will either go up or down based off of that second viewing, as it always does. But as we're f- nearing the finishing line of 2022, I'm trying not to rewatch any films. I'm trying to, if I'm going to sit down and commit 90 minutes to two hours to a, a film, I want it to be something I haven't seen or one that I can watch with my family. So, um, sure. yeah. So I, I still probably have about three more movies left in me in, in this year. And uh, nice. probably is not going to be Glass Onion a second time. <laughs> I probably will get Glass Onion in still. There's like, I have such a backlog of stuff that's come out in the last couple of weeks. Glass Onion and uh, the Matilda musical and a couple others. Uh, like, it's it's ridiculous. Drew, do you hear that sound? That is the sound of our transition into, of a zooming into the transition into uh, the, the meat of our episode, which is our second thoughts on BMX Bandits. And I got to admit, I have not revisited the film since we watched it <laughs> four months ago. Uh, so <laughs> I, I have fewer second thoughts. So I thought as someone who was much more upbeat and positive about the film. Uh, what do you, what do you think? What what has changed in your opinion? What did we miss? Well, here's the thing. I don't think we missed any aspect of the gamification of the film. I think we did a really really good job with it. So the only thing that I really want to talk about is whether or not my and your opinion of the movie has changed since 
we discussed it with Brian Trenchard-Smith. Has listening to his inspiration for the film, specifically the idea that he didn't make a kid's movie, he made an action film starring kids, or an adventure film, I think is the words he used, starring kids, has that changed the lens in which you viewed the movie? For me, I kind of think it, it has a little bit. Okay. So you're asking me if one of the movies that I've probably been the most vocal about disliking in the history of this podcast, if my opinion about that movie changed after we got to have this brilliant one-hour conversation with this uh, legend of filmmaking who is responsible for that film, no, of course it didn't. No, absolutely it changed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was being way too hard on the movie and, and his perspective on making it. And I've had that happen before when I've talked sure. with, with actors about their performances or with directors about the film that they've made. I've, I've certainly had that happen before. When you get that new perspective, uh, it, it definitely changes how you look at things. And absolutely, like I, 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 I have wanted to revisit this film. I haven't had mm -hmm. time. Because if I'd had time, we probably would have recorded another episode of this podcast sooner. But I haven't had time. Right. The more I think about it, th this movie had some really fun bits. And I was just being a grouch about it in that episode. Because it the, the action sequences are absolutely fun. And that's right. something even current contemporary filmmakers get wrong sometimes. If you can't have – like they're going so much for the wow factor that they're forgetting to have fun. And I, I think BMX Bandits has fun. Fun with, I mean, as you you and I talked about, you know, the race through the mall and the water park, and I mean, come on, Grinch Rafe of four months ago, give it up, man. This is not a bad movie. What I will say is, I don't think my rating of the film has changed. I think I I, I gave it a six point five. As a kids on bikes film, I think we gave it a higher rating, and as a, sure. as a film itself, a six point five. I think it's perfectly enjoyable as a modern viewer. But again, I think I would have given it an eight had I just been a kid watching it. So right. I, I think that it balanced out. I think my appreciation of the skill in which it was directed, discussing what it's like working with kid actors, like there's there's clearly a lot more going on with it. But also his real emphasis on it being a film that is specifically just for kids to watch. Sure. That there are almost no adults. The adults are not competent. That includes both the police and the villains. It's just the kids. So yeah, I I think like I definitely have higher esteem for the film, but I won't go back and change my numbers. I sure. Don't, I don't think. Mine weren't as low as yours, so. I, I could still find I mean, I, I don't think I would change my review. I my my sure. ratings either. I mean, it's still like when you go from you know, in the scope of this podcast, we go from the Fratellis mm -hmm. as the bad guys to complete imbeciles of BMX bandits. Like, come on. We we could have a more threatening bad guy. I get why he did it. I get I like I get the sure. direction. But you know, I mean I'm not saying it's a perfect film. I'm not saying suddenly I'm like, oh yeah, it's a masterpiece. I'm saying <laughs> I think I needed to revel in the fun more than I did. Right. Right. And 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 definitely a correction that that came to light while we were discussing it with Brian Trenchard Smith is that uh, Fat Kid in the movie is in fact called Fat Kid. I I was incorrect with that the creep is one of the adults so okay. um yeah, there we go it's not a mark in the movie's favor <laughs> but um it, it again it was a kids movie in the 80s it's just it's not doesn't mean it's good just means it happened right. so yeah i think i think really that's the only thing left to say about that movie is this <laughs>
<laughs> so we rode in on that, and now we're riding out of that. I think that's uh, perfect symmetry there. Absolutely. Now, normally, we would be statting their drafts, but before we get to that, I think it's important to discuss the fact that in the interim between the last time we recorded four months ago and, and now, the Kids on Bikes role-playing game had a Kickstarter. It ended in November. It was mm-hmm. for a second edition. And what is kind of astounding about that is you knew this, I knew this, uh, our audience did not know this, but Rafe, you and I had been a part of the playtesting of the second edition for Kids on Bikes Part 2 yeah. uh, since January of 2022. I think we, we... Oh my God, really? Yeah, it's... Yeah. So we started in late December. So almost a year ago, we started the the playtesting, but of course we signed... NDAs, NDAs, right. We wouldn't, we couldn't discuss it. So for the majority of the episodes that we recorded uh, of this podcast, we knew that there was a second edition. We knew that when we were statting our characters, that there was a second edition out there that could expand on the rules that we already had existing, but we couldn't say anything. And right. I, I feel like listening back on some of the episodes, you could tell where every once in a while, there's a perfect character trope that is existing in um, the second edition that we couldn't use and we had to kind of fit uh, an existing one in first edition. It was sort of like, oh, and it bite your tongue a couple of times. So, Well, and I can tell you as the editor of the episodes, there are several times that I had to edit out us referencing, you know, boy, I really <laughs> wish I could talk about this here and then having to cut that part out. So yeah, we definitely right. did. So yeah, um, just a kind of a, just a brief background on it. Um, because we did get both of the creators on the podcast to talk about Super 8, we had already kind of been in discussions with them about the play test at, at that point in time. So we were brought in, we had different groups, and they would give us essentially a very, very loose, rough edit of the second edition rules. And they right. would go, hey, this is the rule that we would love for you to play test now. Play around with it. See what you like about it. And then get back to us. And then we would do that. And every, uh, you know, there was a, quite a few of us. I think it was probably about 30 of us in the play test. And then, you know, we would play with different members and we would switch them up. Uh, we had, I think I I was in three or four different groups um, and I got to play and I got to run games, which was really exciting to be on both ends of that. We would run through those problems uh, and then we would get another problem and we would play test those. And we really tried to put the emphasis on those, which was a really interesting way to play because playing sp- for specific game aspects rather mm-hmm. than narrative uh, is different from how we normally would play a game. Right. But I really I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's safe to say that our groups really contributed to the overall project. In fact, our previous Kids on Bikes group that you and I played in two or three years ago, starting in 2020, ideas that we had from that group prior to the playtest made it into. So there's actually some real DNA from our... Our Campaign. original game, yeah, yeah. That, that made it in. So we have some tropes that came from that. We've got some whole rule systems that uh, that came specifically from that. So I, I guess maybe what we could do is just kind of go down. Again, we haven't seen the second, we haven't seen the final product. So we don't right. know what the second edition is going to include. A lot of stuff could be completely changed from what we play tested. We did about two months worth of play testing. We gave a ton of our notes. We got to see the rules as a living document change. But then in February, they took that back up and they've been working on the finalization of it prior to the Kickstarter. So we can kind of talk about it. But I guess the the caveat is, as listeners know, that 
because we are not the producers of this game. Uh, some of the things that we may mention may not make it in. So, or maybe different. Yeah. And, or, and, and will probably be changed. Certainly. I think there's some core stuff that's really important that we can be, um, vague and exciting about and with some certainty that they'll make it in. So, yeah. Um, I, for one, and, and, and this was, uh, something that you introduced me, you introduced to me. Uh, it wasn't a, an aspect of, uh, RPGs that I really had participated in or involved myself in prior to reconnecting with you, I guess, during the COVID year. But the idea that there is more of a zero session, kind of guideline through, you know, questions and, and, and ideas to help build the location and to help build the campaign that make the players more of an active part in it. That's something that I'm I'm excited about, you know, that I, I really enjoy. Yeah, session zeros are great. Kids on Bikes did not create them, but no. um, theirs is an inherent part of the game. And the way that they handle it in the first edition and in the second edition, which they've expanded quite a bit, I have transitioned to every other role-playing game that I've played since that time. So I recently am, I've started a new D&D campaign with a totally different group. We did uh, a massive session zero with them to create a D&D world, and I use almost the exact same questions that came from the second edition book, which are very similar to the first edition, but expanded. So part of that is that there is some town creation stuff that can be done with dice-based uh, dice base town creation, so rolling on charts, which is really handy, um, yeah. especially when everyone can roll or pick from the chart. So it, it still has that same investment for the players. So that's really cool. There's something called road signals that I know we playtested quite a bit, which is essentially... Um, shorthand terminology, all based off of being a biker, uh, or biking, I should probably say, um, that encourages different gameplay. So you could say, you know, if something is, you're not enjoying something, if you just say break, everybody at the table knows what it means when you say break. Um, if you're like, I really like that, so pedal faster, you know, like, uh, yeah, so they're just calling that road signals, and, and I, I dig that. Um, I, I really like the idea that there's a terminology that exists solely for kids on bikes, yeah. Even though it's a reference to, to stuff that we would normally probably have a conversation about anyway, but giving it that flavor. That um, vernacular that works with the system. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. The vernacular is the word I was looking for. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> they've asked, added, and I hope this stays in, they've added specific uh, bike rules. Rules, <laughs> right? rules for your bikes and that the color of your bike has significance. It has meaning. It has uh, um, an effect. On the game mm-hmm. and and upgrades that you can make to your bike, um, which that's something the group that I played with with you that we had kind of a lot of fun exploring is okay. Not only are you picking, you know, your 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 trope, but then what does your bike say about you as well? And I loved yeah. that idea that it that it became kind of this extra element of character creation of not only who am I, but how does my bike in a in a game called Kids on Bikes, of course your bike should reflect you. And I, I don't know why I hadn't thought about that before, but I love that idea. Yeah, we just essentially took the bikes for granted. Like everyone had them, but and the rules for using your bike was sort of like make a flight roll if you wanted to to do a trick or something along those lines. But now there are specific biking rules and different ways that you can approach the the bike creation. But when your bike is as much of a character as your character is, and there are rules to how your your trope reflects your bike. Not saying that every you know popular kid is going to have the same kind of bike as the other, but the fact that is if we all take the same trope, for instance, if we're all 
scouts, adventurous scouts, each of us can have a different bike. And then that's taking that separation of the characters, that sameness and it kind of diversifying it. So that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did something in this that I thought was really interesting, too, is it, there's while there's not a huge chapter on it, there is new rules for combat and violent actions, mainly because people just demanded it. I don't love the idea of kids getting in fights in general, especially with adults, but monsters? Uh, I was going to say, dude, you yeah. your first pick for this podcast was Attack the Block. Right. Which um, would and, have combat in it. Right, yeah, and I absolutely agree. Yeah, and so rather than using the already existing rule system, there are ways. Uh, so also you can get injured, and, and, and there's uh, a little bit more finesse rules on how that works. Right. We, we got some new tropes. They've definitely expanded the tropes. They've retitled a couple of the existing tropes. There was some really interesting conversations going on throughout the playtesting process about some of the vernacular, some of the terminology, things that – and I, I, it goes to conversations that Drew and I have had on this very podcast about terminology that goes back to the 80s that maybe isn't so acceptable today. And it kind of became that same kind of a conversation about how do we like what was it nerd? Well, right? brilliant math mathlete was is the and I think they've held on to that, but uh, loner was the one that really weird kind of, loner weirdo right loner and weirdo. the fact that weirdo has a negative connotation to it and it was a brilliant conversation to watch unfold about you know what does that mean and what does that say and how acceptable is that term. Uh, uh, for a whole trope. So it was it was an interesting conversation to watch. And, and as I said, they have expanded uh, tropes. Uh, I, I don't think we should go into details on some of those yet because we don't know what will make the cut and what, what won't. But we will probably use those. Oh, yeah, absolutely. As we trope we our characters, those. at least until we get the actual second edition. Yeah, and, and I'd, I'd just like to point out that uh, looking at the list as it stood as a living document, by the time that February rolled up and, and they took it back, uh, I would say that our gaming groups, uh, that groups that I was a part of, had named five of the new tropes. Uh, we didn't actually give the final names, but um, the, the tropes that they used uh, came from us. And two of them came from our original our gaming group. So I, I love the fact that, you know, moving forward, no matter what happens, uh, again, there's a little bit of DNA that came from us, from our play. Sure. That's going to forever be in that in that game system. And actually, fingers crossed, there is something that we came up with that they definitely liked and uh, wrote up, and we all play tested, which is called Bonding uh, Actions. Right. Uh, which I love, and it was, it was something where I tried to pitch a whole bunch. I think I pitched 20-plus tropes to them when they asked for new ideas. And like I said, about five of them got picked. But... Quite a few of them are like, you know, I think we can simplify that. How do we simplify that? How do we combine some of those ideas? One of them is I really like the idea that, like, someone could be a teacher or you could be a a sibling. So, like, one of the tropes would be little brother, little sister. And they're like, yeah, but that's not really trope-worthy. Right. And so we're like, well, what if we just made it like a tag somehow? You know, the um, the Monster of the Week has used tags for different types of damage, you know. Um, what if we had a way in character generation that connected two characters? I was, again, you haven't played Fiasco, but there's kind of a way that you could do that in Fiasco. And uh, it eventually evolved into Bonded, uh, 
bonded actions where um, two characters have some kind of relationship. And because of that, they can do something special once per session right. that reflects that relationship. So if you do have an adult on your team and you have uh, someone who might have been uh, a mentor and student, that's a bonded relationship. You could be a coach and one of the players on the team. You could have siblings. You could have best friends. You could have frenemies. You could have, you know, like a teammate on a team. So all of those are little relationships. It doesn't cost anything and you get a chance to do that once per session and it gives if you have a three-person group which i did in one of the play sessions each one of those pairings had its own bond which meant that if the two of two of them found themselves alone in a situation that pairing had an idea of what that relationship is it worked really well as a narrative shortcut and gamification always brilliant yeah, and I think that that works well for kids on bikes type stories, because especially if you think about like Stranger Things, where you get the characters going off in different couplings, and, and sometimes that's this character and this character, and sometimes that's this character and that character over there. And, you know, um, I, I, I love that idea that they, you can have a different bond with different people that bring different aid to the campaign. Right. And, and any of your favorite shows that has an ensemble cast, like a, a large group, you want to see what happens when you pair unlikely sure. allies together and maybe unlikely enemies together. Um, and those relationship changes definitely spur a narrative along. Sure. And then, of course, with the uh, the popularity of Stranger Things, it shouldn't be a surprise that they did some uh, uh, changes to powered characters uh, to how those are created. Uh, I, I suspect that'll still be going through some tweaking even after the playtesting is done. That was the last thing that they gave us yeah. um, to work with. And it's kind of hard in the narrative that we already had existing uh, in our games to just right. throw in the powered characters, write it and just go, okay, now do this. All three of my campaigns that sessions got up to the powered characters and then basically time ran out. So we, that was the play test. We play tested the least right. uh, as far as new rules are concerned. But what, a lot of it is uh, having the players fill in the blanks and that generates a certain way that the character is seen. So it's, it's sort of a fill in the blanks, character creation for those powered characters which is really interesting i really like it again giving the power to the players to change the narrative which change i love the story and change the game yeah it's yeah. one of the things i, I love it, about that game system agreed agreed it takes a lot of work off of me too which is uh as as a game master um as, the, the as last, someone who has could. spent hours over the past few weeks getting ready for a D session Yes, I I, I, <laughs> right. I I wish. So one of the things, too, that um, I think this is the last thing, because we, we don't need to list all of this stuff, but something that's definitely going to make it into the second edition, and I think it's an amazing rule, is knacks. And so a knack oh, is something right. that isn't your your strengths and weaknesses, but it's something that your player is assumed that they can do that they don't really have to roll for. So, for instance, if you're making a jock, the idea that they should be able to, for instance, sprint across a football field is kind of like a no-brainer. And so if you have a knack, you explain what your knack is. So, for instance, maybe I don't want to use one of my two strengths at the beginning of creation to show, like, that my character is really into birds. I'm not going to give them skilled at ornithology. That seems like a waste of that. But my knack is that maybe I can mimic birdsong. When is that going to become useful? I don't know, but a good game master is going to figure out a way to put it in there. But a knack would be, (laughs) rather than having to roll once per session, you just get a 10 on that check. 
you just it's just gonna tend. It's it's gonna be a success unless it's um you know a, like a deadly situation. And it shouldn't be. It's just something that your character's good in. Again, it's adding numbers to character development, which right. I, I love. And so everyone gets a knack right off the beginning of the game. So that that one's a really cool one um, that we played around with with a great deal of success. Yeah, I'm really stoked to see this uh, when it actually comes out. I can't wait. Yeah, me it's, too. It's and, high and, and, on my and, anticipation list of uh, <laughs> upcoming RPGs, I will say. And a great Kickstarter, really well done. Um, I think one of the things that they, they did for the Kickstarter is, it again, very successful. So at every tier, they had... Um, something called an adventure zine where we're going to get mini adventures, sort of like modules that are created by some of the top gaming designers, a wide, diverse range yes. of game designers, too. One of the things I loved about it is I didn't know everyone who was a part of that list. Me neither. Uh, I love that because it gives me a chance to go, I don't know who that is. And then I get to research them and I get to see all the amazing stuff they have done, which I might not normally have done because, like, I don't have a podcast that's telling me about it or, or you know, so... I got to be introduced to some really great games and some really great creators. And that I feel is something that we could go into on a completely different podcast. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, and, and exactly. I, I did not recognize all the names either. And I fully expect that I will be doing some more research, especially as those zines are actually released for the, yes. the people who back the Kickstarters where I'm going to read it and go like, who the hell is this? Oh my God. And then start looking <laughs> right. into other stuff they've done. Yes. So here's the thing. We have we have this basis for this second edition rules. So now, Rafe, finally, for the bikiest of kids on bikes movies, when we stat our characters, we can use the roughly existing yeah. second edition. So you're going to hear – it's amazing. Is I don't think I used a ton of new stuff. Me but, neither. Uh, I, I definitely like the fact that I have access to it. Yeah. So let's stat our – characters that we drafted just as a reminder because it has been a while since last time just from this movie um i drafted judy um right and, and i drafted, drafted goose. goose right so do you want to talk about how uh you have used your kids on bikes rules to stat your character uh, sure i i looked at goose uh, and I, I i i gotta go with the, he's a funny sidekick you know that's kind of his his role kind of his mm -hmm. purpose um I, I picked his strengths as kind of easygoing but also protective because there were several times over the course of the story where he kind of jumps into judy's defense uh, mm -hmm. um you know which which at, at times kind of felt uncharacteristic but we'll go with it so we'll <laughs> add it to his character um i put his flaws were that he's a bit lazy because i kind of felt like sure. that was appropriate yeah. and then um what's in his backpack uh, I, the only thing I could think of, and unfortunately I have to steal your thunder because you put it first, but I'm going first, so it sounds like I came up with the idea, uh, is a, is a walkie-talkie because they have those yeah, awesome I, 80s walkie-talkies that work anywhere. Yeah, I, th I agree. I think that's uh, absolutely correct. And I'm going to throw um, another idea for you because remember, the backpack doesn't have to just be a physical thing. It can be uh, an abstract social thing. Right. I imagine that as a film fan, there's a very good chance that Goose uh, is a member of a video rental store. No, well, that's true. And I would bet that there is an older kid who is a clerk at that video store who recommends things. So if I were the GM, I would recommend to you as a player to have that character so that if you needed information or help, that that would be a contact that you could use. It seems mm. to think it would make sense that that's... Sure. Uh, that I like that. Work. Judy's is such an interesting character. Um, I chose... 
And this is going to sound wrong, but I chose the popular kid for Judy, and that's one of the new ones. That doesn't sound wrong. That doesn't sound wrong. Well, I'm glad that you think so, because I, I was trying to come up with a way to justify I was trying to figure out... The reason I give her popular kid is the moment she comes on the scene, because she's not a part of the group. Right. Everyone wants to be around her, and much of the action is centers around her. In fact, the the two main bad guys, people are constantly chasing after her one in one way or another. So I thought popular kid kind of worked. Yeah. Um, and I, really, it's the emphasis on both charm and flight as to the stats that work really well for that character. Um, four strengths. Cool under pressure, because, you know, she is cornered by two men and held at knife point and, and barely blinks an eye. And then because she is given this amazing gift, as soon as she gets her BMX bike, she becomes the best biker in the group. <laughs> uh, even though it's it's been established that the other two are clearly the more advanced bikers, I'm giving her skill at BMX. Her flaws, she's a bit naive. Just a um, bit. Just a bit. So I think that'll work really well. In her backpack, also a walkie-talkie. And I also think... Similar to the abstract of uh, a video clerk or a social contact, um, we know that Judy has had some issues finding and keeping a job. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that maybe references might be something that she keeps in her backpack. She's probably worked for a wide variety of people um, over the last couple of years that she's been of an age where she could find work. And while None of those relationships are probably positive. She might have that knowledge. Hey, I once worked for a guy who this, 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 and this. And I think that could be brought into the the game as well. So impressive resume is her. uh... (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I would say, I think impressive as far as varied resume, but but not as positive, not a positive. Yeah. I know. It doesn't feel like we've really pulled from the second edition. Yeah. I probably should have included knacks in this as well. I think I would um, – I mean, clearly, Goose's Knack is, is for film knowledge. Yeah, film um, knowledge. Exactly. And I think that and, – and and actually, let's talk about this too. If you decide to keep Goose and if you decide to keep Charles from Super 8, I imagine that they have a built-in bonded relationship and their bonded action would be something like – I don't know. Oh, uh, man. We got to think about bonded relationships now yes. within our teams. Within our team, yes. So I think that there's would be something along like, like, like film knowledge uh, oh, or sure. movie quotes. So it, in a kind of a way that you would imagine, in, say, reference D&D, um, Thieves Can't, where a rogue can use Thieves Can't to communicate to another rogue without anybody else understanding what they're saying, even if they're in the same room. I imagine that if they want to do an action, but they don't want the bad guys to know what they're talking about, they could quote a movie and the other would like eyes light up and completely recognize that they want them to do this thing that would have been from said movie. So that would be kind of cool. Uh, as far as, yeah, Dax for Judy, that's tricky. And again, I, I don't want to give instantaneous, perfect BMX skills uh, because she's already skilled at that. Right. And I think getting out of trouble. Oh, I think maybe bluffing might be. Uh, oh, I like that. Something that she she could do because she she does it quite a bit. Bluffing or and or inspiration, like an inspiring or actually she has a knack for getting captured. So um, I'm sure there's a way we can spin that because she does get captured, I think, at least two times, if not three times in the film. So she has, she has a knack for being an escape artist. That is true. Escape artist would work very well. And you only have to use it one time in the session. So that right. that goes perfect along with her character. Good. Good call. I, that's the the Kickstarter for Kids on Bikes 2nd Edition. Rafe, it's been four months. A lot of Kickstarters have come and gone yes. in that time period. And when we were 
talking about getting together to record tonight, I was like, well, I need to go on to Kickstarter. And I started trying to look at all the Kickstarters that were going on now. But I'm like, you know what? There's so many that have come and gone that we have either participated in, you know, we funded or have been sent to us that have been realized. I think I'd rather talk about those than anything new that's coming out. I think that's a brilliant idea because I'm actually right now on a self-imposed exile from Kickstarter because uh, I backed too much stuff. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I, I appreciate the uh, not giving me an excuse to break that and go look at Kickstarter. So, yeah, let's talk about stuff that we've gotten Stuff that have, have okay. has has come to fruition, and we have received the spoils of Kickstarter. Well, I know you and I both, because we mentioned it in the last, so I should stop saying the last episode, but in our BMX Bandits episode, we do discuss Doug Lewandowski's calls to action, extraordinary party backgrounds for 5e. Yep. Um, that came. It has a successful Kickstarter, and we have already received it. Uh, yes, because that's how Doug do. I'm still, I've, I'm on like three years waiting for some Kickstarters. Nope. I got my PDF uh, right when they said – in fact, I think I got it even early. Yep. Uh, and I've got a chance to look through these. And uh, I haven't used them for any of the my current D&D, but I know that the next time I, I, I do a D&D game, I'm going to be using these. And yeah. In fact, we should probably talk about what's going on with D&D 2 after this um, very briefly. Uh, so, yeah, that was cool. Also – uh, I know you said you received this a while ago. I just got it um, in my inbox a couple of days ago. Everyday Heroes. So we've been talking yes. about that modern system. The PDFs have been sent out. So I yep. have not gotten a chance to to look at that. But Evil Genius Games looks good. And I backed the uh, – I not only backed it, get again in my uh, – I'm doing way too much. I also did the season pass for all of the cinematic universes that they were using as like supplemental material. So I've not only received my copy of Everyday Heroes – uh, but I've received my PDFs of the first two cinematic worlds that they are releasing, uh, and that is The Crow and Escape from New York. Now, these are not modules, kind of like our podcast. These are not modules that are like, oh, here's how to play the movie. These are fully realized worlds utilizing the movie as context, and it is brilliant. I uh, I haven't dug into The Crow one as much as I would like yet, but The Escape from New York one I rarely say this about gaming, but compelling read. Like, I opened it, and I just found, like, an hour and a half had passed, and I was just reading it and just having a blast at, at the world that they had created here and all the movie references within it. I should probably mention this because it, it's been many episodes. Uh, you have just, just convinced me to get that book um, because <laughs> I, I do collect the uh, IPs, even if I don't play them, it's a disease. I completely understand that. But I, I movies that I love. Then so, I won't uh, tell you that Evil Genius Games just opened an online store like this week. Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, <laughs> listeners who have been with us from the start know uh, how vexed I was when I happened to miss out on the Kickstarter for the thing board game, especially the Kickstarter exclusive. Oh, I have it now. <laughs> you better believe I have it now. In fact, uh, as of this recording, I have all three of John Carpenter uh, board games based off of the thing. Um, one is technically based off of who goes there, but it's it's John Carpenter's the thing. It just doesn't happen. Right. Um, I got a game. I don't know if we even discussed this one on the podcast called Heckin' Good Doggos. So I got Heckin' Good Doggos. I got it. 
PDF of it, printed it out. We have some real dog lovers at my library that I work at, and um, everyone has created dog characters. Um, you can you're playing dogs, and you can do it very similar to Beasts of Burden, which is a, a really great comic series as mundane dogs running around doing kind of adventures. But then there's also things like the action film and the superhero film. So and they all want to play. Eventually we're going to do this as in a superhero dog world. Uh, and so they have all created superhero dogs. Uh, and it's, it's just goofy fun. And I really like it. And it's one of those things where I don't think I would play an extended campaign of this, right. but just the fun of reading the rules and discussing how to create characters with my my coworkers was worth the price of admission. Uh, and it's one of those things where I know I'll probably get one or two really good game sessions. And for me, still cheaper than going to the movies. So uh, nice. I, was, I was really excited uh, by that. So that has already come out, at least in PDF form. Well, I got uh, the one of the very first Kickstarters I ever backed because it wasn't until – basically this project that finally convinced me to get on the Kickstarter, and that is Ouroboros Coils of the Serpent from Warchief Games. Uh, Warchief Games is in part created by Chris Metzen, who uh, helped found Blizzard's World of Warcraft and Warcraft and all that kind of stuff. He is the voice of Thrall. Uh, in a desperate move from Blizzard, they have rehired him back to try and improve their image. I don't think that's enough yet, but a, a good good try. But anyway, he put out a role-playing game, and they put out a role-playing call- game called Ouroboros Coils of the Serpent. It is one of the the most beautiful gaming books, series, whatever you want to call it, that I have ever gotten. I got the collector's edition of it. It's gorgeous. Um, I mean, if you just from the spine on the shelf, it doesn't look like it could possibly be one of those trashy RPG games. It looks <laughs> like classic literature or something. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. The one that I just got last week that my son saw sitting on the table, and he plays in my D&D campaign, uh, and immediately said he doesn't like the looks of, is called Yarg's Guide to Puzzles and Traps. I think I may have talked about it on the podcast yes. in a previous month. Um, it's gorgeous, and the content is fantastic. I found at least two or three traps that, God, I want to talk with someone about, but... I can't because I might run a game that I put them in. <laughs> it's always the worst. I I, I know. I, I find myself in that situation frequently where I'm discussing something on a, a message board or, or in a chat room or something like that. My God, did I just reference the early days of chat room and message boards? <laughs> on a Facebook group? I don't know. That dates <laughs> no, me even my more. MySpace. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, but I know that I have players who are part of that group as well. So I can't, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm right. Hey, fellow gamers, I really want to just kind of play test this idea and workshop this. What do you think about this, this, and this? And then everyone's like, oh, I think you should do this. So you do this. And one of my players will hop up and says, I think you should ignore this completely. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did get my 2023 quest calendar from Sundial Games. These are something I did last year. This is my second year doing it. They're a, a, a page a day type calendar where you are going through, and every day you have something that moves your story forward. Uh, and you may have some combat to do, or you may have a puzzle to figure out, and that kind of stuff. This year's uh, coming up is uh, sci fi themed. So that'll be a little different than the more fantasy D&D type that last year's was. So I'm interested in that. And then finally, uh, a one, uh, not a one shot. Uh, yeah, a one shot uh, adventure that I got called Assault on Santa's Workshop. Holiday themed uh, was in early December, picked it up. I'm running it for my group tomorrow. I can't wait. It's they have gone all out in making characters for this one shot. So uh, I'm a little excited about it. Is it similar at all to the night that reindeer died? No, Scrooge. No, it is. It is cold open. Well, 
actually, it's not. Lee Majors? Maybe. Uh, yeah, is it is. Santa it is going out the front door. It is that Santa, you are helping Santa assault his workshop where it's been taken over by an outside force. So, yeah, kind of like that now That's that I cool. think about it. Just no Lee Majors. Right. Well, we're all poorer for that. Um, so those are projects that we have funded, that we have discussed, and that we have gotten in the time that we have missed. And we have missed you quite a bit. Um, here are some games that have come and gone that I have supported some of them. Some of them I have not. Uh, first off is The Zone by uh, Raph D'Amico. Um, it is a card-based game that is essentially gamifying uh, Annihilation. If you saw the movie Annihilation, mm. it is they enter a zone where um, it's a horror game. It basically, it said, look, it's a role-playing game of Annihilation. It's like sold. I, the Southern Reach trilogy is a fantastic series. If you're, if you're readers and you want uh, someone who is, if you're interested in both biology, ecology, and Lovecraftian horror, Vandermeer, Jeff Vandermeer did an amazing job. So anything inspired by that. Um, Evil Hat came out with Apocalypse Keys. Yes. Really cool stuff. Great thing about Evil Hat is um, once it comes out, you'll be able to find it at any good game store. Um, that'll be readily available. Not that any any of these games are lesser because they're not uh, more popular uh, creators. But, you know, sometimes when you miss something, you miss it and it's gone for good. Right. Sometimes a major company puts it out. And the stuff that Evil Hat's coming out with is always great. Uh, Monty Python came out with a role-playing game, and I didn't even look at it. I, I didn't even consider it. It's worth mentioning because, let's face it, every D&D game eventually just becomes a Monty Python role-playing game at some point in time. We, we have not discussed this until now, and that was exactly my logic behind not considering it either was. I was like, eh, that, that's, that's already my D&D session. That's already my D&D campaign. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, but Exalted Funeral put it out, so if you like their Troika game... And I do, and I like a lot of quite a few of their products. I just there's some really fantastic. I think you roll your dice by putting them in a coconut and shaking the coconut mm-hmm. before. Ro- it's like, yeah, that's great. It's fantastic. It's completely unnecessary. I will eventually own a copy of the book. I will find <laughs> it on the store because I'm a completionist and I know that I will enjoy reading it. But I'm I just I back the Kickstarter. I think by, with a dollar just to show I'm interested. Um, and then I just, I think I just ignored everything else. Uh, the last thing I specifically want to talk about is not a Kickstarter. It is not even really a crowdfunded and it failed. So it may not come out but because I do like my games. And I know that Rafe, you have been discussing, um, painting miniatures. And this is sort of along the same lines. Many years back, there was a fantastic game called HeroScape. The idea is soldiers from different time periods and different wars uh, when they die, they go to Valhalla and they just keep fighting. And so you could find these at Walmart and Kmart and you could just, I was like, oh, I have this pack. It's got some Roman soldiers and some orcs. Uh, I also have some space people and some elves and they just fight each other. Really, really simple game. And they were going really strong for a couple of years and then they made some poor marketing decisions and it just disappeared. Uh, it's very hard to find this game. It's very expensive to find this game. Um, those of us who were collecting from the start have ridiculous collections I could probably retire off of. I know I've spent way more money on this game than I needed to. Anyway, Hasbro owns it, and they're like, hey, we're going to bring it back, and we're going to make this amazing base set with all of these amazing miniatures and all of these fantastic modular pieces and all of this, this, and this. But the price of it was $250. No, thank you. There was 
no smaller version of it. No, thank you. They needed to sell 8,000 of them in order for it to go into production, and they sold, pre-ordered 4,000. And I'm not going to get my HeroScape because of that, and I'm really hoping they figure out uh, a good way of doing it, but I know that folks... Um, it is a, I thought I used those miniatures in D&D and it's one of the reasons I, I loved it so much is they came up with pre-painted miniatures. Not only is it $250, the miniatures do not come painted. Uh, so you have to paint them yourself. Some people like that better. Some people do not like that better. Um, so there's that. So if you didn't know about HeroScape, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, uh, but it's not happening. If you did know about it, I'm sorry to <laughs> to put salt in the wounds, uh, but there you go. Rafe, what do you so have? I, that, so uh, I just want to make sure I understand before yeah. I move on to my stuff. So Hasbro had a game. They didn't know how to handle it, and they killed it. Boy, I'm glad that doesn't have any possible ramifications to echo through history. <laughs> and a couple people will understand that. Uh, I, I have, uh, uh, I can't believe we didn't talk about this. Home, the haunted house map building RPG. Uh, Doug Lewandowski was a part of this one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really cool as far as like talking about that player interaction and them helping create the world that they're in because basically, uh, they're help, they're drawing the house that they are exploring and, and there's some really cool things with that. I, I, it's been a while since I've looked at the actual Kickstarter. It was successful, but I, I was really stoked. It came like Doug had like three projects back to back to back on Kickstarter, and it was just like, dude, do you just want my ATM card? Like, is that do I just need to send that to you? Because I can, speak I will. For Doug, when I say yes, yeah. Monty Cook Games put out a a book called The Weird, which has all kinds of ideas in it to help spruce up your world building and your campaign. And I did not have money to back it while it was there, but I have seen that I can potentially get in on it now as a a late uh, a joiner, so I may do that. And then the Session Zero system, I wanted to mention because for those of us who participated in the Kids on Bikes Kickstarter, uh, there was a live play uh, demo online, and they used this Session Zero system to help to kind of do their Session Zero type stuff to build the world. It is kind of a game unto itself, but the purpose of it is to help you build your world. And as a podcast that promotes the idea of that zero session, as much as we do, I gotta back a game that kind of helps bring that to life. Don't I? So I did. You absolutely. And I did the same thing. Uh, and what I liked about it is it reminded me a lot of A Quiet Year, which yeah. I use A Quiet Year for every role-playing game that doesn't already have a built-in mechanic for that. So um, the, the D&D game that I'm running right now for some folks, it was three sessions before we actually played anything. Um, I didn't let them even create characters until we created the world because I wanted their characters to reflect the world that they had already made. And they all really liked the idea. And so we created a, a, basically a Bible for this world. And um, every time we play a session, I update that. So like the history is being built and built and built and built. And it's because of that that uh, session zero system. So yeah, big, big fan of that. And I should say, I'm going to make this really brief, but I should say that um, this is not a, this is sort of crowdfunding. It's crowd play testing. Um, Dungeons and Dragons has taken the next step. They don't have a sixth edition coming out. They have something called 1D&D. It is currently a living document. They are releasing chapter by chapter and people are play testing and then responding to it. There's a lot of opinions one way or the other about this mode. Hey, pause, pause there. Pause there. Who 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 puts out D and D right now? 
Uh, well, Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro. Who's owned by Hasbro. Okay, so see my remarks from four or five minutes ago. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Foreshadowing. I don't think Dungeons and Dragons is going anywhere. No, Hero I don't Escape, either. on the other hand, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get it. But And whether or not they handle this well, here's the beautiful thing. As And as many people have, have commented on the message boards and whatnot on the internet and how, what have you. If you don't like the new version of Dungeons and Dragons, but you like the old version, just play the old version. I mean, it, that's the great thing. I have friends who are still playing 1st edition, 2nd edition, 3rd edition. I don't think I know anybody who's playing 4th edition, but if you're out there, more power to you. I, it's, it, it has its strengths. But what I like about it is that they are getting ideas from fans, and the first um, installment, which is all free, by the way, they're, they right. are producing a, a playtesting document that's free, unlike, say, the Marvel role-playing game where you have to pay 10 bucks to get their their right. book to play test, which they're going to then change and you have to buy it again. The first thing that they did is they removed a lot of racial traits. So right. elves, if you're playing an elf, not all elves are getting these bonuses to stats. Um, the stats come from your profession, which is the way it should be. Because the idea is that if you're a wizard, you know, uh, you're probably smart. And if you're not, that's a character choice. So I like the idea that your background and your professions have more to do with uh, strengths and weaknesses than your race. I think right. it's a smart idea. Um, yeah. And if you don't like it, there's other versions that you can do. But we're using that in our new game. We are. I am an active participant in this playtesting. And every time something new comes out that changes, we have actively changed the character. If the player wants it, if the player didn't, and I have had a couple of refusals, uh, we, we don't. <laughs> I don't, because the whole point of it is I want them to have fun. So, right. yeah. I, I just my, my party neat. agreed to uh, give them a try, and then it hasn't actually come up. And, I mean, like, their most recent thing that they put out is clerics, and we don't have a cleric, so it doesn't even relate to our party right now anyway, so. Right, sure. So, um, all, all games, we love games, lots of cool stuff out there, but we have other stuff we want to talk about before we say goodbye. As we mentioned, as I mentioned, I think, in the last episode, I'll take credit for it, even if it wasn't me, October was Never Say Die's one-year anniversary. Uh, and we weren't dead, we were just, you know, pretending. Uh, get that Monty Python reference in there, right? Even though we weren't active for about four months, it, it, it's great that we're back recording, but we need to talk a little bit about the terminology that we've been using to discuss this podcast, because we have, have presented this as a Kids on Bikes podcast. But then we've said our first season of this podcast is about Kids on Bikes movies. And when Drew and I first pushed that idea, my brain immediately went to, oh, a season, so like a year, like 12 right. episodes, and then we'll move on. Well, then we took four months off because of, you know, life. So a couple of things that we need to talk about, first of all, is what's a season? Like, I've seen podcasts that have like three, four years, and then, oh, that's the end of season one, and then they move to season two. So do we do 12 movies and then call that a season? Do we just keep doing Kids on Bikes movies until we run out of viable ones that we want to do? In which case, is is that really a change in season? That, that becomes just a brand new podcast. So what are your thoughts, Drew? Well, there's a couple of ways to look at this. I think it sounds very exciting to change things up. Sure. I don't want to not ever talk about kids on bikes after whatever season one is. I, I And as far as I think, I think we go 12 episodes. 12 episodes seems fair. Okay. Um, but there's, I on my must discuss for kids on bikes movies, I think I have a full 12 or more that we haven't even discussed yet. So I think it's something we come back to. My pitch would be, Let's finish out 12 episodes, 12 different movies, 
and then maybe switch it out to another genre. Because it's nice to... I really enjoy watching movies specifically for the podcast. Sure. Specifically to gamify. And so I want to make sure that we are playing around with it. And then, if you and I don't like where it's going, or viewership or listenership drops completely, then we just go back to Kids on Bikes. Because I think there's enough Kids on Bikes to probably do this for several years. And new films are coming out. And we we had talked also that it's not just movies, that we potentially could do television series, and we could do Kids on Bikes literature, graphic novels, and so on and so forth. Sure. But that's, that's you know, special episodes or something along those lines. Uh, so I think we're probably, I, I my vote is 12, 12 episodes, and that's, uh, an episode is going to be a move, 12 movies, I think I should probably say, because right. we get our, we get our regular edition and then our intermission episode specifically about it. Okay. Do 12, jump over to another subject. That makes the draft feel a lot more with what we originally pitched it as, because then, then there are choices that we have to make at the end of like, okay, we get our team back down type thing. So yeah, yeah. I, 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 I dig that. Okay. So 12, and then we'll change. And so, then we'll change. Yeah. So we're only like halfway through that, by the way. <laughs> it's true. Which it's is good because I still have one absolute must, must cover movie before we're done with Kids on Bikes. I do too. And I'm really interested in if, whether you and I have the exact same one. And I'm betting, I'm betting it's probably very close. Um, there's one that I know we absolutely have to talk about and I haven't even seen the film yet. Okay. So yeah, but I think, I think we're good for probably rounded out to 12 Kids on Bikes movies. Whatever we say here, we always can just go. Yeah, that was that was wrong. That was just that was just time talking. Times times crazy. We're just gonna continue with kids on bikes. But yeah, do you want to talk about um, potential second season as a teaser and just kind of drop a couple of ideas, or do you want to save that for another time as we get closer to the end of the first season? Well, I will pitch. I will throw out there. I'll, I'll re- pull back the curtain. One of the things yes. that we had originally talked about was for our second season. Looking a little bit more at the horror milieu, not mm-hmm. necessarily like super, you know, gory, not you know, but but horror. And we had talked about uh, focusing on monster of the week as our game system, and like we do kids on bikes this season, and and how can we gamify kind of more horror, teen horror type things using Monster of the Week. I know we had discussed that concept. I liked that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we have had other conversations since then, so I am not as nails dug in deep, driven to that idea as I once was. So what, any other ideas out that you would want to throw out there for for meditation? Yeah, well, I, I first want to comment on the Monster of the Week thing. Um, one of the things that's interesting about Kids on Bikes is quite a few of these movies, there isn't combat. You know, it's one of the things that we really draw attention to. Yes, we have specifically highlighted a couple of films that, that emphasis on that. But, like, you know, now and then, not a combat-heavy movie. <laughs> the system is more around the relationships and problem-solving. Um, if we choose to do something that is monster-driven, we are almost entirely going to be focusing on combat stuff right. and then how we can use different types of monsters and different aspects and different tropes to really kind of establish uh, engaging combat. For me, combat is so much more than just the stats of the monster and the stats of the players, um, the environment, the setting, um, the situation where you find yourself in. Monster Week is the perfect system to talk about that. I also do like the idea that we emphasize telling a story that could be used regardless of the system. Right. So while Monster of the Week might be a base, we certainly are going to use a lot more of that. I had another idea. 
Okay. One of the things I really love about and, and listeners, I have not discussed this with Rafe, so this is the first time he's hearing this pitch. One of the things I love about the kids on bikes genre is it is an umbrella term that can um, encompass any genre. Like, so we have done action, we have done adventure, we have done coming of age, um, we have done fantasy. There's a lot under that umbrella, and I wanted to find something very similar. Kids on bikes is not a genre; it is a sub sub genre right. of of movies and there's a very limited number of that and that works in our favor right because while there are a lot of kids on bikes movies we couldn't talk about it forever eventually you kind of run out and then you start stretching the legitimacy of what is a kids on bikes film but i have one that i think we can play around with as our listeners know rafe and i love a ticking clock we mm-hmm. love a time limit and we really do like focusing on potential one-shot adventures so rafe my pitch, and I think you're gonna like this, is the one crazy night subgenre of film. What's great about one crazy Ooh. night is the main crux of the plot takes place in a 24 hour period. It doesn't have to be. It could be one crazy day, one crazy night, a uh, uh, 24 hour p- movies, something along those lines, where the characters find themselves in a situation and get themselves out of a situation in a very short period of time. I would say that three to four hours, maybe two sessions max. And that's tricky because in order to get a film that would qualify for that, it has to be one that can establish, have an established group. So again, it can't just be one person having one crazy night. It has to be several people. Right. So for instance, I would argue that Attack the Block would definitely be a one crazy night movie. You just want and us to all cover the action, that movie again. <laughs> I do. I actually had a whole conversation about it with coworkers today, and and like now they're all going home and watching it. But there's there's comedies, there's rom coms, um, there's straight out horror films. You know, like a survive the night kind of a thing. But what's nice about this is we can play with multiple systems if we tried the one crazy night. So those are my two pitches mm. right now that seem to be the best. Listeners, if you um, have an idea, please comment uh, when we start listing all of the many ways you can get in touch with us. I would love to hear what other people want to hear about because that's I'm going to have fun talking with you about movies and games regardless of what the genre is. But it would be really fun to be able to have play off of, of listener expectations as well. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I like that idea. Uh, my my one my one issue is the first couple of one crazy night type movies I thought of are mature. Let's say you know like R rated comedy type stuff, sure. and that's not that's that's so outside the the current territory that we're covering that it's like okay that's that'll be interesting that's not to say that we can't do it i mean honestly right. if we do the monster of the week type stuff a lot of that would probably enter into that same territory so i mean they're all r-rated and some of the kids on bikes movies are r-rated true but you know yeah there's certain things that we're not going to role play right and right. and part of that is role play there there's ways to work around that and i think that's part of the con- yeah you got it <laughs> there's part of the conversation that we can have and i think when we set ourselves with those kind of challenges we get a more interesting conversation. Out sure. So, but that is a conversation for another time. Correct. And speaking of another time, Rafe. Yes. We're going to be doing something a little different. Of course, because why would we come episode. back and do the same old, same old? See, now, because I chose BMX Bandits, next episode, it should be Rafe's turn to pick the next movie. However... Since Brian Trenchard Smith was so gracious with his time and chatted with us about both 
of his kids on bikes movies, it seems like it would be a perfect opportunity and a real waste if we didn't, for our next episode, talk about frog dreaming, or as it was called in the United States, the quest, or as it was called in Great Britain, go kids, exclamation point. Uh, so <laughs> join us next episode when we finally get to discuss 1986 frog dreaming with all its mystery, its inventions, and it's casual racism. Uh-huh. Until then, you can find this podcast on all podcasters and join us in the conversation because you can email us at the never say die podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on our Facebook group at never say diecast. It is a <laughs> blocked group, but if you just ask to join, you'll be set right in. And for all those of you who are part of that group and have just been sitting quietly for four months and nothing happening, we're doing something about it, I promise. Uh, we are currently on Twitter. Because Twitter still Twitter, exists. Because <laughs> it still exists at Never Say Diecast. Thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song. And uh, thanks to Megan Daly for our show artwork. And remember, even if... Because you signed an NDA, never say die.